Welcome to the Wellness Wave Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Locke, and my goal is to help you help yourself unlock your full potential for receiving abundance and success. Every Monday, jumpstart your week by empowering yourself with knowledge and advice about wellness and personal growth, biohacking and habit stacking, manifestation and nervous system regulation, and so much more. And remember that slowly is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. Wellness is a lifestyle and a movement to create a world full of people who feel safe, strong, and loved. And practicing good wellness habits can have a ripple effect on those you surround yourself with. So with that, let's create waves. Hello, my beautiful lovies. Welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited for today's topic because if you didn't know, fall is one of my favorite times of year for many reasons. Colder weather, which means better clothes in my humble opinion, warm, hearty, immune boosting foods, hot drinks and beverages, which I think are just wildly superior to cold drinks and beverages, although I did get pretty into ice matcha lattes this summer, and I feel like that always kind of happens. It just gets too hot for hot drinks, and I can't do it, but now it's cold-er-ish. I live in the south, so, you know, it only gets so cold down here, but... Um, And then the golden hues, falling leaves, spooky season, of course. So we've got some some good shows and classics. And I love all of the like Halloween bonfire festivities. Um, Pumpkins galore, of course. And then the general melancholy that accompanies this time of year. But with that melancholy comes the sun setting earlier and for some of us there's the seasonal allergies or just more illness in general or perhaps my least favorite in seasonal affective disorder SAD. I know that I'm not alone here when I say that my mood kind of plummets when the sun starts setting earlier and it also can just be really easy to slip into the temptation of endless sweets this time of year. Uh, I'm very guilty of getting sucked in by the pumpkin spice latte, the PSL uh, trend. I don't know. I don't know if you call it a trend, but I normally for most parts of the year, I'm really good about sticking to um, minimal sugar. I don't have a sweet tooth most of the time. But this time of the year, I just want all things like pumpkin bread, I want banana bread, I want cinnamon rolls, I want pumpkin spice lattes. Uh, Yeah, and and my body is just very sensitive to sugar in general, so that can kind of take its toll if I'm not careful. And for me, it's like I don't notice the effects of eating too much sugar like a day later. I notice the effects compiled after weeks of doing it which I think most of us probably can relate to. Um, and But by the time your body gets to that point where it's like screaming, like, hey, please stop, treat me a little bit nicer with better, you know, healthier foods, by that point, it's like we've already got some symptoms coming up and it can take the body some time to, to re-regulate. So prevention really is the best, the best uh, method. So as I try and pull myself out of my little little phase of eating too much sugar and drinking too many pumpkin spice lattes this fall season. I've got in front of me some eggs and avocado on gluten-free toast 
with a bunch of sprouts on top of them. I find that sprouts and these these kinds of greens is a really effective way of making sure that we're getting enough veggies and leafy greens into our diet this time of year because I don't know about you guys but I'm definitely I love salads don't get me wrong salads are one of my favorites but I'm much more into salads in the summer when it's hotter and I'm craving the like lighter juicier more water dense foods and then this time of year I'm just kind of like I want potatoes and and protein and root vegetables and stuff like that. So using the microgreens is a great way because you can just throw them on top of whatever you are eating and get those good, those good, good nutrients in. And we'll talk a little bit more about seasonal eating and boosting immunity with food this time of year um, later in the episode. But with that, I'm going to just take a few minutes here to enjoy my meal before we get into the episode think it's really important to eat food with intention and I honestly could be better about this myself but just saying like a little prayer a little intention blessing your food it doesn't have to be from like a Christian or religious standpoint but just expressing gratitude towards you know having this really lovely meal in front of you even if it's just like ramen or something not as fancy because the fact is that you are you know, you're nourishing your body and some calories is better than no calories. So it's also really important to take your time eating, make sure you're taking nice, big, deep belly breaths in between bites to stimulate the digestion and prepare the gut to take in food. Also, chewing up your food properly is so important. This is something that I have not always been good about. I think that a lot of it is just habits I've learned from feeling rushed all the time and feeling like I don't have time to like really enjoy a meal. Like I've always felt like I have to be doing something else and multitasking when I eat, whether it's like looking at my phone, checking emails or like, you know, like watching, reading something. It's It's been difficult for me in the past to really just send all of my being and all of my attention into what I'm eating. Plus, chewing up your food all the way is actually an important part of the digestive process. Your saliva helps to start breaking down the particles of food before it even reaches your gut. So not chewing up your food properly can actually cause some gut issues and harm your digestive tract. So with that, let me go get my noms on and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back and that meal was delicious and much needed because I haven't eaten today and it's already well into the afternoon. Um, anyways, so back to the episode. We're talking about fall and my fall favorites, but this probably isn't going to be what you would typically expect from a fall favorites vlog. I will talk a little bit about the more material side of things briefly at the end, but I really want to focus more on concepts and just general lessons that I've been learning recently that keep popping up in my life, um, as well as some things that I just consistently 
love to incorporate into my days year after year during the autumn season. So obviously when we get into the cooler months, when the days are shorter, it becomes a lot easier to want to just indulge a little bit in whether it be in sweets or just cozying up on the couch and sleeping in or not not exercising maybe, not getting outside enough, um, just really like fall into ourselves. And I don't think this is a bad thing as we come into this time of year, you know, we're, we're in the midst of the harvest season, kind of coming out of the harvest season into winter into this much slower time of year when we need to really conserve our energy from like an evolutionary standpoint because obviously the cold can um, trigger more immunity issues and it can be just more generally challenging for our bodies if we're not giving it the proper rest that it needs. So this is where I think it's really important that we are creating balance, especially when it comes to listening to our bodies. Now, if you listened to my last episode, you know that I'm meeting with my therapist again. She's amazing, and I already, within the one session, feel like I've gained some really valuable insights. And one of those big insights is that I just overthink things too much. And now this is something that I already knew, but I feel like hearing something from a professional and having that person to really guide you through what you're feeling and thinking can be really, really helpful. She actually even said she didn't feel like we needed to meet every single week, but rather just a couple of times a month. And the main reason being that one of the things that I am working on getting through and is setting boundaries with where I let my mind wander to because I I overthink a lot and I will take every single input that my body or brain gives me and will, you know, run with it. I, you know, you may be familiar with this situation where you are hyper aware of your body and your sensations. So you start Googling symptoms and then Dr. Google tells you that you have cancer or some life-altering autoimmune disease, whatever. And then it, you know, continues to trigger this fear and pain or fear and discomfort cycle. When I reflect on my own story, I think about how for a really long time, I knew that my body was asking me to make some changes. Um, You know, like I needed to stop drinking so much, and I needed to sleep better, and I needed to stop eating fast food as often, and I needed to like stop smoking nicotine and cigarettes and vaping. 
um, and I needed to exercise more. Like all of these different things that I knew my body was asking me for, but I would just ignore the sensations and continue with this this destructive behavior. I think a lot of us do this when it comes to our coping mechanisms, even if it's just in subtle ways. Like even I still struggle a little bit with this. Like I don't necessarily drink and go to a barista shift on four hours of sleep while hungover anymore, but I still get sucked into shopping instead of exercising or reaching for chips and hummus instead of fixing myself a proper nutritious meal or grabbing, you know, going and purchasing the pumpkin spice latte instead of just making a nice healthy tea that I already have at home and, you know, spending the money that way. So they're just kind of these small ways that a lot of us you know, don't really listen to what our bodies are telling us and it can get us into trouble down the road. And this isn't to to make you feel stressed or anxious, but it's more of just like developing and cultivating this awareness and like and acting on it, not in an obsessive or like compulsive kind of way, but just in a way that says to your body that you hear it and that you care for it and are listening to it and want to do the things that you know are going to feel most aligned and set you up for the most success. Also, I believe we can subconsciously heal from any disease because inflammation is at the root cause of disease and inflammation is caused by physical, emotional, and spiritual stressors. So remove the stressors and logically remove the disease. And now I'm not saying to be irresponsible and to not seek help when you need it. Not at all what I'm saying. And also, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. Just a little disclaimer. However, I believe that we have way more in power and control over our health than we've been programmed to believe. Our fear of not being able to heal is what keeps us stuck. And just think about how disease is portrayed in the media and you know that's not to say that disease is not terrible like if you have personally experienced or witnessed somebody with chronic illness you know like it's no easy challenge it's not it's I mean it's awful and that's not what I'm saying here but when you think about how many times in our lives we have seen or been exposed to these very like fear-based attitudes towards disease that like, you know, do anything in your power to avoid them. Like, and if you have them, your quality of life is probably going to be a lot lower. Those kinds of things are what get into our brain before we even come across these issues that like, if we have this, then we're just destined to be suffering and miserable and we're not going to heal. We're going to be stuck like this until we die. And this is true whether you have, you know, a depression or PTSD or you have something more severe like cancer or autoimmunity or Lyme disease or Epstein-Barr virus that's chronic. You know, any of these these problems that we've been told are either not curable or there are treatments available but they require a lot of suffering. And again, this is not me telling you that that if you have one of these things that you should not seek treatment from a medical healthcare professional. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. So I really don't want it to be taken that way. The point I'm trying to make is that we need to reframe our mindset towards these problems um, 
before they arise. And then if they do arise, then we we have much more control than we realize to provide relief for ourselves. And maybe we can't make the problems go away per se, but we can really shift how our brains are wired to process pain and to just generally have a higher quality of life instead of feeling stuck and scared and in a fear-based mentality where that is only going to cause further inflammation and make it harder for your body to heal. But in this episode, I'm really not talking about people who are dealing with these chronic extreme illnesses that, you know, blood work has been able to reveal to them because there are so many people who have severe chronic pain and, you know, have been told that there's nothing wrong with them by a doctor. And, you know, pain is just way more complex than previously thought and more and more data and scientific research is revealing that to us. And that kind of is where I want to go with some of my fall favorites and this concept of reframing the relationship between pain and the brain. Because again, the experience of pain is way more complex than just structural damage or tissue damage equals pain. Because we've seen that you can have injury without pain and you can also have pain without injury. And you can even have pain when you don't have limbs. I mean, like there are plenty of examples of people who either have had limbs amputated and can still feel that phantom pain. And there have even been cases where people are born without limbs altogether and they still feel pain there. So our experience of pain is not just about tissue damage. It's way more complex once again. Basically, our nerves have receptors and they're not pain receptors. They're just receptors, right? And they're sensitive to stretch, to touch, pressure, temperature, chemicals in the environment. And your brain will take all of this information into consideration, but it also is taking into consideration your mood, your stress levels, and the amount of cortisol in your blood, information about your environment, so like what you're smelling, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, yada yada, And additionally, maybe most importantly, your personal beliefs about your health and the state of your body. So when you're feeling a sensation, the brain takes all that information in and then asks itself, do I need to protect myself? And if your brain feels like you need protecting, it will produce the sensation of pain. And this kind of acts as a sort of alarm bell to alert your brain, hey, we're in a dangerous situation, and that's why we're hurting. We need to remove ourselves from the situation or change something or do something different. So essentially, pain doesn't exist in the body. It's all in your head. <laughs> now, I know, I know you're like, don't tell me it's all in my head. Like, it's not all in my head. I'm not crazy. Not what I'm saying at all, because as I have you know, tried to express on this podcast time and time again is, you know, the mind, body, and spirit are all so interconnected that you can't, like, say something's in the brain and then that makes it not real because basically pain is an output of the brain, not an input from the body. 
So pain might be all in your head, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And so this idea that pain always means structural damage or tissue damage or whatever can actually be really harmful because we get sucked into this mindset that we have a lot of stuff to fix in our bodies and this can turn into like unnecessary and unhelpful surgeries. It can lead people to becoming frightened of their own bodies. I feel this is something I'm really familiar with and have experienced myself. You get stuck into this pain, fear, pain, fear, pain, fear, chronic cycle, and it can be really difficult to escape because also when you Google something related to pain or when you talk to a professional, a lot of times you hear language that makes you feel like you're weak and you're fragile and you you know, you like have to fix so many things about yourself. And now I want to just once again reiterate, I am not a professional when it comes to this. I'm not a healthcare professional. And if you have chronic pain that is not going away, you should seek some sort of help. And now whether that's going to a therapist or going to a general practitioner or going to an acupuncturist, an herbalist, that all that all kind of depends on you and where you're at. Um, I don't wanna I don't wanna give you medical advice here, but I will tell you what I have found is working for me. But I wanna point out that there has been research that shows that the majority of people who have never had any significant back pain have the exact same quote unquote abnormalities like bulging or herniated spinal discs, yada, yada, that are oftentimes blamed for chronic back conditions with people who do have severe pain. And then on the other hand, there are tons of people who have severe chronic back pain who have absolutely no structural damage at all. So again, accumulating research is suggesting that chronic back pain and a lot of chronic pain in general, because, you know, a lot of this stuff is very interconnected. I mean, the whole body is very, very interconnected. So if you're having pain in one place, it's very easy for that pain to spread and become related pain, yada, yada. But any, anyways, study after study is showing that back pain is oftentimes just the result of our thoughts, our feelings, our stress levels, and how we behave in response to to those stressors. Now, I know I talk about some things on this episode that may seem a little woo-woo at first glance, but a lot of the stuff that I am sharing with you guys is very scientifically backed, and if it's not, then I will do my best to be transparent about that but this is one of those things where it's like I'm not just making this stuff up this is you can do you can do your own research and so with that I want to share with you um some basic truths about pain um and how you can start building these truths into your subconscious belief system and that first truth is that you are fundamentally strong and it takes a lot more effort than you might think to do real serious structural damage to your body. Also, even if you do have structural damage, um, you are constantly getting better. You're constantly healing, repairing, and protecting. 
And a lot of the times I think we're told that, you know, that certain parts of our bodies can't heal, certain, or that we're just going to be stuck with certain whatever forever. And sometimes this may be the case. And in some cases, obviously, surgery is necessary. And allopathic medicine certainly has its place. I'm not saying that we can just like overnight make a tumor disappear from our bodies. But I do think we can set our bodies up for an environment that is much more hospitable to healing and to clearing, detoxifying, and yada, yada, yada. Also, here's where there's maybe not so much scientific backing, but miracles happen all the time, you guys. People do things all the time that they are told that they cannot do. And I really believe that the same thing applies to to your body. So that's why I really encourage you to avoid Dr. Google because nine out of 10 times, Dr. Google will tell you that you're like stuck with some horrible disease and the only the only way to fix it is by by pumping yourself full of medication or getting some surgery or you know just generally things that you probably don't want to do or that may not be effective long term and then a second truth is movement is medicine don't fear movement and now we're often told that we need to like brace our core straighten up do things a certain way but stiffening up the spine and feeling like if we're not moving in an exact particular way that we're going to hurt ourselves can send us into this like fear spiral of anxiety and immobilization. This is something that I have personally struggled with. I, throughout my life, fitness and exercise has definitely not been my thing. I was the musical theater kid in high school. I was, you know, music kid. I was just playing piano and guitar and singing all the time. Never played sports since I was like in elementary school. And so exercise, regular exercise has not been like a very strong foundational thing in my life. And it's something that I'm definitely working on because I know how important movement and exercise are. But because I have experienced some like injuries and some spinal related pain and structural things, that there have been many times where I've told myself that I can't exercise or I can't do certain movements because it'll hurt me more. And I, you know, I have fallen into this trap of not trusting that my body can cope with the physical stress that movement and exercise puts on it. But a little stress is good stress, you guys. Like we need stress in order to grow. But it's all about, again, finding that balance and creating that balance. But so that kind of leads me into some of my quote unquote fall favorites, but they're not really fall favorites. They're just kind of like year round favorites that I have discovered this fall. The first one being Tai Chi. Now, I have not, I wouldn't say I discovered this this fall. I've known what Tai Chi was for, was for a very long time. I did a little bit over the summer, but I felt like, I don't know, I had a couple of older people say to me like, oh, you're too young to do Tai Chi and just these very limiting, small-minded comments that made me feel like, 
oh, if I'm doing Tai Chi this young, then there's something wrong with me, you know? But I think Tai Chi is such a beautiful expression of the movement because it really goes back to this idea that I preach all the time throughout this this podcast, and that is slowly is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. And I actually did this meditation visualization yesterday with one of my favorite creators and teachers, Manifestation Babe, Catherine Zenkina. She's doing a little, um, like a little free workshop on her Instagram live right now, which I just realized I missed today, but I'm going to go listen to it later. But if you, yeah, if you have time, I would definitely check it out. She did a little visualization exercise yesterday. Um, and at one point in the visualization, she, you were basically having your, your future most aligned self in a conversation with your past or current self but it's, it was your past self because you were visualizing that your current self was your future self. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> um, and she said, what was the lesson? If you had to give your past self one lesson or one piece of advice, what would it be? And the first thing that came to mind for me was to move slowly, but to not stop moving. So I don't think that's exactly what it said. It was like, slow, or I think it was slow down, but don't stop, basically. Um, and I think that's like a, a central kind of, uh, philosophy for Tai Chi is just you're constantly, at least the kind of Tai Chi that I've been doing. I know that there are like some different kinds of Tai Chi where you, um, may move like through movements quickly and then with control. So like shifting back and forth between fast and slow movements. Anyways, I'm rambling. Um, the kind of Tai Chi that I've been doing is just this very, very slow, consistent movement. In Qigong or Tai Chi, the Dantian is the source of all of your movement. And now the Dantian is different than the chakras because the Dantian is more of like a internal deep reservoir or storage kind of 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 your life force and of your energy whereas the chakra is kind of like a gateway to this so people talk about your chakras being blocked or like opening up your chakras so that is kind of what helps you to access those deep internal reservoirs I'm a pretty new student to qigong and dantian so I really don't know that much about it and it's not something that I've super consistently been doing. It's I definitely want to build it into my daily practice. It's a goal that I am working towards. So stay tuned because hopefully I'll be talking more about this in future episodes. But point being, if you are looking for a really gentle way to get back into movement and you're a little scared that doing too intensive exercises may lead to injuries or re-inflaming old injuries, then Tai Chi is definitely the way to go, Qigong. Now, sort of in line with this practice is just generally getting into mindfulness and meditation. And I have one app in particular that I have used for quite some time now. It's called Headspace. You likely have heard of it. I started using Headspace right before, oh my gosh, my computer's about to die. One second. Okay, and we are back. So as I was saying, I started using Headspace right before, probably about like four months before the pandemic started. I was using it every, you know, every couple of days. I had meditated before, but never super consistently. 
this was um, definitely the gateway for me into a consistent practice. And I, um, I mean, it really changed my life. And again, I had known what meditation was and I had, I definitely would have considered myself spiritual. I'd get like really heady and into like all sorts of deep spiritual philosophical conversations, whatever. I had like gone to church as a little kid and I liked the church that I went to. It was definitely more open-minded. Um, and there had been some periods of time where I had felt like very spiritual, very connected to God, but it always would just kind of come back to it not really resonating and feeling like there was some missing piece. But so anyways, all that to say, I've always been like really in touch with that part of myself, I'd say, but, but the meditation was definitely a big gate opener for me. A big, uh, what is the word? An expander. (laughs) Um, So I started using Headspace, like I said, a couple months before the pandemic started, but I was using it kind of inconsistently. And then when the pandemic started um, and we weren't leaving our house, I really got deep into it and was doing it every single day, first thing in the morning. And honestly, I think it was what made this time really doable and manageable for me. Um, And that was right when I discovered ceremonial cacao as well. So I would meditate and drink my cacao every day outside. It was really, really beautiful and powerful for me. And Headspace has grown so much since then. You may have seen they have their own um, Netflix series. Oh, what the heck? It just got very windy outside. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways, um... First of all, I want to say that none of the brands or companies or whatever that I mention in this podcast are affiliated. So this is all just from the depths of my spirit, you guys. But anyways, meditation and mindfulness have been shown by increasing bodies of evidence to help with a variety of conditions from stress and anxiety and depression and high blood pressure, pain, PTSD, Um, sleep issues, insomnia, and improving quality of life of cancer, if not even helping. I mean, studies have, I don't think studies have quite shown that that meditation and mindfulness can cure cancer, but there have been plenty of anecdotal stories of people saying that, that meditation, you know, was largely responsible for healing their cancer. And again, that's why I said earlier, like miracles happen. There are stories of people who like their cancer disappears within two months and then their doctor is like, what the heck happened? You know, it's stuff like that. So again, I'm not saying to not go see an oncologist if you have cancer, but you know, there are other methods that you should definitely look at incorporating into your treatment plan, you know, if you're diagnosed with this. But but regardless of what your situation is, what you're struggling with, I feel pretty confident that meditation and mindfulness can make your life better in some way. Now, there are there are plenty of ways to practice meditation and mindfulness, and you know that may look like just experimenting until you find what works for you. I will say that the majority of these things, like they can be helpful as a quick fix, but in order to truly be like a preventative measure and really help you heal this something that you need to practice daily if not multiple times a day um but so 
Headspace is an amazing app because it has so many different types of meditations whether just depending on what you're looking for it has meditations for dealing with anger for simply relaxing a morning meditations meditations to help with sleep meditations for stress and anxiety there are also plenty of podcasts for more educational information um, and just other kinds of courses surrounding like mindfulness so there really is something for everybody I also really love their sleep casts they have basically like soundscapes with stories told over them um and those I think can be really beautiful and um I don't know I just I love listening to them and they're very calming and I know that there are plenty of other resources for this too if you find that Headspace isn't what works for you there's Calm and there's also this app that I just found called Curable um, they do cost some money, but I really think having at least one of them is very worth it, and especially, I mean, obviously to make it worth it, you have to be using it. You do have to put in the effort and the work and designate time each day to commit to it, but you've got five minutes. Like they have, they literally have three minute meditations. And so I actually had my favorite ones that I have for like if you're dealing with pain or if you're dealing with anxiety, um, the ones that I really love to use are visualizing well-being, um, managing anxiety, which is a whole course. Visualizing well-being is just one visualization exercise, but managing anxiety actually has like 10 or even 20. There's a bunch of, of days that you can do it and then you can start over again. And then there's also a really quick little three-minute exercise for panicking and it's called panicking and I find them all incredibly helpful um, both as like a quick fix and a long-term solution you just like I said you got to put in the work and you got to be consistent for it to have that preventative effect so yeah I was using Headspace really really consistent consistently for a while I actually hit over a thousand minutes on there of total meditation time which was pretty cool but um I've just kind of wavered, like I've gone in and out of phases of using it. And I recently started using it again because my anxiety has just been like way more intense recently. And I keep thinking that I've gotten out of it. And then it's, I think it's really connected to my monthly cycle, to be honest. So I just started seed cycling. So we'll see if that makes any difference. I'll keep you guys updated. Um, and I can talk about it more in a later episode. But anyways, I kind of just like forgot that meditation was as helpful as it was, you know, like that sometimes happens for me where I will like convince myself that something doesn't work as well as it actually does. And then I'll just like forget about it and think that I can get by without it. <laughs> and then like when I start doing it again, I'm like, oh, like, yeah, this really is effective. And that's kind of how I feel about Headspace because I just started using it again. And I feel like it's already made a huge difference that uh, managing anxiety course in particular has been really helpful for me. And the panicking course, or not the course, the panicking meditation, I used it the other night for the first time. And I'm not going to say it like stopped my panic attack instantly, but I do feel like I recovered a lot more quickly from it than I would have otherwise. 
um I feel like I caught it kind of like nipped it in the bud and like as soon as it started I I took I did this little uh, visualization or not visualization meditation and yeah like it on my panic attack only lasted probably like 10 minutes and normally they last like hours so that was cool now my third favorite um for just restoring the mind-body connection is the practice of primal movement or animal flow. Now, you may have heard of this, but chances are you have not because I had not heard of it up until recently. And I also work with a, um, I have one of my clients, my marketing clients is a functional movement uh, trainer and he incorporates a lot of these kinds of movements, but I've never heard him call it that before. So I kind of stumbled upon it randomly just on YouTube while I was looking for mobility exercises that were, you know, really healing and not going to potentially damage my my body and create muscular imbalances. And so that kind of tends to be the problem with a lot of exercise programs nowadays, they fail to address movement deficiencies. And again, they can even further exaggerate muscular imbalances. And that's some, I've had problems with that, especially when it comes to like doing like a glute circuit or, you know, whatever, like focusing on one body part instead of focusing on how like the whole body works together. Because in the real world, like we're not using one body part at a time, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're using the whole body as one singular unit we can't we can't just like ignore the shoulders because we don't feel like working on them or because we don't care how they look you know um and so primal movement you can kind of like imagine just visualizing what primal or animal flow looks like you're incorporating a lot of planes of movement uh, like such as crawling rolling jumping crouching etc Um, So really like visualizing if you're Tarzan or something, that's kind of what primal movement is. Um, And it's so good for improving strength, mobility, posture, and fitness, and it retrains the central nervous system to move more efficiently. And it really does break down our movements into seven basic patterns that sound kind of boring, but I promise if you look at if you just like pull up on YouTube primal flow, you will not be bored. It's pretty interesting and exciting to look at Um, and very grounding too. Like a lot of the movements take place on the floor and I personally really love that. I like being on the ground when I exercise. Like I'm big into Pilates too and I just would rather like not stand, you know? (laughs) Um, But so the seven basic patterns are squat, lunge, push, pull, bend, core and gait. And so it's incorporating all these things. So if you feel like you're at a place where you're like, okay, let's do this. I'm ready to exercise more. I would just look up like beginner primal flow. There's a really good one in particular by, let me pull it up real quick because I'm blanking on his name, but he uh, does a lot of primal flow videos in general um, oh, Strength Side is his name. Strength Side. He's a pretty cool dude. And he, uh, where is this? Hold on. I wanted to find the one in particular that I've been using because it's a really, really good beginner workout. Um, full body, yeah, it's literally just full body workout. No, no gym. Beginners follow along. 
And literally, like, the most liked comment is, I'm 81 and was able to do most of the exercises. will continue and improve. And he had his left hip replaced five months ago. So it's like, if he can do it and he's 81 and had his hip replaced, then you can do it too. Um, so Strengthside is his name. He's got some really cool videos and just his camera work is often really cool. Um, would recommend checking it out. Also, I love these primal flows because, well, first you feel like you're a kid playing like, you know, jungle, whatever. You're pretending to be like a cheetah. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but like that was definitely me as a kid pretending to be an animal. Um, so it's, it's really playful. It's really fun. It's really grounding, very healing. Also, like think about when you're a toddler or you're a baby and you're first learning how to move. You are first rolling and then you're crawling and then you're finally standing. So we forget a lot of these like very elementary basic movement patterns that are essential for our overall um, mobility, you know? So I'd look into it. Don't overdo it. Take it easy. But also just don't be afraid to challenge yourself a little bit. I would look up if you're having pain, like look up a primal flow for back pain or primal flow for chronic pain. And you'll you'll be surprised at how helpful it can be. Um, Just the key here is we're really trying to get out of that fear mindset of movement is going to hurt me. And I think these kinds of really functional flows can be super helpful with reconnecting to the core and creating the that mobility that we really want and the connection. Now, we of course cannot challenge our body and push our body through movement if we aren't first and foremost fueling our bodies with nourishing foods. So that brings me into kind of the next little segment of my fall favorites. Um, and my first favorite of the season and again of every season is to eat seasonally. So why is eating seasonally important? First of all, foods that are grown and consumed during the appropriate season are going to be more nutritionally dense and studies have shown this. So like broccoli, for example, in peak season, it actually had higher vitamin C than when it was grown in spring and broccoli's peak growing season is the fall. So when foods are grown out of season, they aren't really able to follow their natural rhythms, and this may result in the use of post-harvest treatments or called ripening agents, and these can be um, quite toxic, as you might imagine. Seasonally harvested food is also just going to taste better. It'll be cheaper, and it'll be more environmentally friendly. So what is in season in fall, you may ask, and you probably already know some of them. They're pretty obvious, like apples, pumpkins, Um, root vegetables such as beets, carrots, garlic, turnips, sweet potatoes. These are all things that are in season. Um, Eggplants are good early fall, celery, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, um, figs, pomegranates. These are the kinds of things. Oh, and cranberries, obviously. Um, These are the kinds of things that are in season this time of year. So really try and prioritize these foods in your diet. And they're also just going to be more hearty and denser and better for preparing your body for the winter to come. Obviously, fall offers up an opportunity to make some really delicious soups. One soup that I am always super down to make 
for myself and my partner is this really, really yummy sausage lentil soup. My mother used to make this for me and my family all the time when I was younger, and so it's just kind of got that like sense of nostalgia for me. Um, it's super easy too, which I love, and you can make enough that it lasts you through the whole week. So it's a meal prep. It's just like an all-in-one good deal. And it incorporates, the one I make at least, uses red and green lentils, any kind of broth. I use chicken broth usually. Chicken sausage, you can also use pork or you can use a vegan sausage or you can just omit sausage altogether. If you're a vegetarian or vegan, I would suggest doing this because a lot of the times those processed or those fake meats are really processed and not actually very good for you. Um, so yeah, I would just recommend leaving it out altogether. The lentils do provide like kind of a meaty texture anyways. Um, but, and then I also put carrots and celery in there as well as white potatoes. If I'm feeling it, you can probably experiment with sweet potatoes too. I've never tried. A lot of times I'll just leave the potatoes out altogether because we'll have, um, like gluten-free bread on the side and it's just like a lot of carbs, um, not that carbs are the devil or anything, but you know, you should limit how many you use because it does break down into sugars in your body. And then I'll throw in like maybe some tomato paste and onion, gin, uh, garlic. And then I also will put really warm spices in there, which brings me to my second favorite in terms of food and what we put in our bodies. So the first warming spice that I love to use is probably the most obvious, and it's cinnamon. It has a really high source of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties, so good for boosting the immune system and preparing the body to fight anything that may may come its way um, this time of year. And it also can promote heart health. It's really good for lowering um, LDL, cholesterol, and triglycerides, can fight diabetes, etc. So basically just can do like, it's basically the magic potion that you need. And then ginger is another one that I love to use. Um, preferably fresh ginger, but if you can't have use fresh ginger, that's okay. Um, it's also got a lot of antioxidants, can be really helpful for treating upset stomachs and indigestion. Um, I use it pretty much as much as I can every night, especially if I'm having acid reflux. Um, black pepper, that's another really good one. I kind of use black pepper all year round. And this also helps with the absorption of turmeric, which is another spice that I will use. And it's got the active compound curcumin, which has a lot of medicinal properties such as uh, antidepressant, anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, pain reduction. Um, it's great for insulin resistance, promoting weight loss, reducing oxidative stress. It, again, just all these things are magic potions. <laughs> and using all of these spices in a meal just makes it taste so like warming and cozy and perfect for the fall time of year. So yummy. And I also love to make things like golden milk and chai lattes, preferably without sugar added. You can make a chai latte at home just with like black tea and all these cinnamon uh, flavors. And then you make it like really concentrated. You can put honey in there and then use um, just like some steamed milk of your choice. Uh, speaking of honey, that brings me to my final little food related um, favorite. 
and that is Manuka honey. I just started taking Manuka honey as a, for medicinal reasons. You want to make sure that you're taking Manuka honey just by itself or like on a toast as a spread and not mixing it into hot water because hot water can actually destroy a lot of the properties. But Manuka honey has garnered a lot of attention from scientific and medical communities because it has really really potent antibacterial until antiviral anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties it's actually been approved for use on like as a topical for wounds um and it can be great for your oral health can help soothe the sore throat and it can be used topically for acne and it's you know, helpful for allergies. It's even being looked into as a potential cancer treatment. Um, so yeah, you can see it's really amazing. And I, I've just been seeing honey pop up so much in my life recently that it feels like I needed to start taking it. And, uh, you know, honey does obviously have sugar in it. So you need to be careful if you, have like diabetes, I definitely talk to your doctor first. But if you're eating the honey straight up as is, um, there's there's a chance that it'll just be less harmful for your body since it's not a processed sugar. So again, just kind of talk to your doctor. What works for me may not work for you, but I do think honey is definitely the way to go when it comes to sweeteners. And I actually recently read the beautiful book, The Secret Life of Bees by Sue Monk Kidd. And it's this beautiful coming age, coming of age story about the interracial landscape of the civil rights era in the American South and about this little girl. She's like, I don't know, 14. Her name's Lily and she's white and she ends up stumbling upon a bee farm run by a a group of black sisters and it's just about her kind of figuring out herself and she has kind of a traumatic past so she's working through a lot of that and it's just so beautifully written and you know she's very connected to the bees obviously it's about a bee farm as I said would highly recommend reading that book it just really it was just the perfect thing for me to read at the time that I was at honestly um I've been really making an effort to read more recently. I've always been a big reader, but in the past couple of years, I've been trying to force myself to read more nonfiction, and I do love nonfiction to an extent, but I find that I'm just much more like comforted and inspired when I'm reading fiction, and so I've just been giving myself permission to read fiction and not feel like I have to be somehow like contributing to my career growth by reading nonfiction books um and it's just been like a really nice break and nice a breath of fresh air so I highly recommend getting yourself a good fictional novel to read now that it's getting a little bit chillier and just cozying up on the couch maybe instead of watching a tv show at night you start picking up your book instead I feel like it really just helps my my mental health and makes me helps me feel like I'm not just wasting my life away, you know. I was going to talk a little bit more about how we're in the last quarter now and about finishing your goals before the end of the year. Um, I do still want to talk a little bit about that, but this episode's getting a little bit long, so I think that I'm going to leave that for a future episode. Stay tuned, though, because next week 
is, you know, next Monday, Halloween, baby, get ready. Let me know what you guys are dressing up as. Um, But I am going to be doing an episode talking about death, which I know I have mentioned a few times over previous episodes. I'm going to dive into things like you know, just existential questions like what happens after you die, my thoughts on how I want my body to to be uh, taken care of once I leave, um, just my general discomfort towards the idea of death and societal discomfort towards death in general and like how we can kind of work through that. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm also a little nervous because I feel like it could definitely send me down like a rabbit hole of of just again like existentialism but I think it'll be a really good opportunity I'm probably going to talk to my therapist a little bit about it tomorrow just to to hear her thoughts on it um but I I'm gonna leave you there this is by far my longest episode which I wasn't really expecting kind of a, a little a milestone marker there I have some really exciting news this Friday I will be releasing a vlog, a fall autumn vlog, and I feel like it's definitely by far my uh, best produced YouTube video. I've kind of taken a break from YouTube to focus on other things, but while I've been doing that, I've been learning how to use Premiere Pro and make my editing skills just a little bit fancier. So I'm really excited about that. I'm going to be talking about some other fall favorites. Another exciting news item is that I... I'm launching my website next Tuesday, so uh, probably, yeah, next Tuesday, and I will have a blog on my website, so I have a blog coming out on my fall favorites there as well, except I'll be talking much more about, like, the material side of things there, so, you know, like, clothes and, um, I don't know, that kind of stuff, though. And there's also going to be a blog on there about more in more in depth into honey and all of its wonderfulness. So stay tuned. You'll be able to subscribe to my email list on there. Stay up to date about when new podcasts come out, new videos, new blogs. I'm just overall really excited because I feel like this is finally starting to expand the way that I've been manifesting and envisioning for so long and it feels really good to be making um, progress and taking steps towards my goals even when I've been having some challenging days here and there recently um so please uh well I guess just thank you so much for listening if you're still here and please have a beautiful and wonderful rest of your week I will chat with you on Halloween and uh that's all I got for you so peace out Thank you so much for joining me this week in the safe space of the Wellness Wave podcast. If you would like to support me and my channel, I would be so grateful if you left a Spotify or iTunes review, followed me on my social channels at Slock Sounds or at the Wellness Wave Pod, or shared with a friend or family member who you know would infinitely benefit from listening. Until next Monday, have a beautiful week with the intention of creating waves.